Danny and thanks for tuning in to The Grown Up Hustle. This podcast is based on real people sharing all their different journeys as they navigate this crazy ride called adulting. From coffee o'clock to wine o'clock and all that happens in between, we're here to openly discuss how we're all just really hustling our way through life. So if you're ready for the highs, the lows and a whole lot of real talk, then stay tuned because we've got you covered. Hey guys, how you all doing? Welcome back for the second time this week. Two drops in one week, you lucky bunch. So um, it turned out that you guys are actually really impatient. And after dropping part one of Lou's episode on Wednesday, I then got so many messages asking me when I was going to be dropping part two. So I thought, okay, what shall I do? What shall I do? Toyed with it. Did an Instagram poll. You guys said, yeah, drop it early. So I figured who am I to argue with the people? If that's what you guys want, that's what you guys are going to get. So for anyone that didn't um, listen to last week's episode and you're just tuning in, go back and listen to last week's episode. Um, But if you are just tuning in, then last week we had Louise Johnson, who's the best-selling author of the memoir Lou Who, on the show. And she was kind of showing the background to her story last week. So for part two this week, we are going to be chatting through gaslighting, narcissism, immigration to Canada, and just kind of how great life can actually be once you take back control, take hold of those reins, and you start living life on your own terms once more. The man that I loved, the man who I probably trusted more than anybody else in the world, telling me that I'm wrong, telling me I've made a mistake telling me that I've got the whole situation, you know, out of line. And I'm like, well, well, shit, maybe he's right. But my rational mind is like, no, no, no. I've got a list here of signs of gaslighting. And it's like, these are the core fundamentals of someone gaslighting you. So it's no longer feeling like the person you once were, which you didn't. You had lost your confidence, which you had, and your confidence and faith even in your own like the ability of your own yep. mind, uh, developing anxiety. Mm, yep, you check. Know. You then start to doubt yourself. You start wondering if you're being oversensitive. It was your fault. Did you do wrong? Check, check. Which was what you were doing. And actually, when you look at it, it that is psychological abuse at its finest yes. by a true narcissist. Yeah. And and all, bless you, were, were just, you know, a victim in that and just did not see it coming because you loved and trusted this man yeah. so much. And this is what so many women that when you're in it, it's hard to recognize so it. Hard. It's not until you get out that you think, oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Actually. Yeah. And I and I also I've always wondered if I knew about that in terms of it being a a thing that happens in relationships or it can happen in relationships and and you know that at the time it was like, oh, he, well, he cheated on me and then he lied about it. But like you say, actually what it was, was psychological abuse. It was gaslighting. It was manipulation. It was all of those things. And I wonder if I'd known to, to call it that, if I would have felt differently, if I could have detached myself from it earlier. And I'm not sure having said that I have recently um, actually experienced another relationship, which was, um, there was a lot of manipulation. It was, it, he was very narcissistic and, um, and I think what it allowed me to do, and I mean, I'm obviously in a very different emotional capacity now. I have a lot more emotional intelligence because of all these things. I was able to call it what it was, but interestingly, I actually still wasn't able to detach myself from it, which made it almost worse because I knew that it was happening and I could see it and I knew what it was, yet still, there was still this cycle where your brain does not function as you wish it would. And I still, it took me a very, very long time to get out of that. So I, I just having had that happen, I, it's been interesting to kind of look back and be like, okay, so even though I've had that experience before, it can still happen. And I think the interesting thing is, again, even then, I mean, I was younger and definitely not as experienced in life or in, in relationships. Even now, I am, you know, 36 years old. I um, very independent. I'm, I like to think, like I say, I'm smart, I'm rational, I am sensible, I'm level-headed, and yet still I'm confident, you know, all those things. I've rebuilt myself, and yet still it can happen, and still you can be sucked into that cycle before you even really know it. And then once you're in there, it is getting out that even if you know what's happening and you can name it, 
it's actually still so difficult to get out of it. And that was the scariest part for me recently was realizing I'm watching it happen. And yet still there's just this struggle. It's still not a, oh, well, that's what that is. Okay, I'm walking away. And that's a lot of, of, of my own emotional dependencies as well, which come from my past. Um, yeah, it's it's scary how how easily it can happen and how frequently it happens, actually. I've seen it with myself in the past, in past relationships when I was younger. I've seen it with my friends. And I don't say it's one of the good things, actually, about social media. They've given us a name for what it is and they've given us an understanding for what it is. And there's actually a lot of Insta handles out there that that discuss these issues, these toxic relationship issues. So hopefully the next generation might not get not not as suckered into it because it, you just yeah. do regardless when you're in yeah. it and you like someone you just do and it's not that easy to leave. But I guess, like you said, going back in your 20s, you know, you're talking 10 years ago, you didn't really have a name no. for what he was doing and you you weren't really that clued or, or switched onto it. Whereas now, OK, you still, like you said, in, in your most recent relationship, couldn't you know, you're still in that, but couldn't quite yeah. leave. But at least you knew yeah. what was going on. You could see it and you could be like, Lou, like, come on, we got to, yeah. we got to get a check. <laughs> yeah. on And I think as well, it, it helped certainly with the healing part of it, you know, in kind of being able to really understand that. Whereas I think, you know, it took me a, a good number of years to really understand the full effects of what he had done to me and, and understand the extent to which he had broken me down. And I think I just, you know, after it finally finished and I finally left that third time with no going back. You know, even then I was like, well, I'm not coping with this well. Like as if there's a way to cope with it well. Like of, there is not, like there's not a good way. There is not a right way. You could just cope the the, uh, the only way that you can, which is, is, is the way that you do it. And so, you know, but still I just was like, wow, I'm just like, I'm really struggling. Like, why is this so hard? Well, it's because he had manipulated me for years. It's because the person I trusted the most lied to me. It's because he made me question everything. I had lost my confidence. I'd lost my self of self, a sense of self-worth. I had lost my, my trust in myself. Like there was just none of that. It was like a shell was remaining. That was all that I got out of there. Um, literally all that I got out of that apart from some debt as well. And so it was, you know, that was what I was left with. And then you're like, okay, so now what, you know? So after you, you left, and obviously you ended up filing for divorce. Yeah. What happened after that? So at that point, um, like I said, we met when our families both lived abroad. And I think he and I had always kind of had this idea that at some point we would probably go abroad again. We never really had decided where and in a way, I obviously wasn't going to be going with him. And so I just thought if ever I was going to do it, now was the time. You know, it, I felt incredibly alone in Edinburgh, despite being surrounded by, you know, friends, family, um, and knowing the place intimately. But there was just a sense of really being so alone and so lonely. You say in the book about you felt on edge because you could bump into him at any time. And that is a really relatable for for many women. I mean, that is just, it's the worst. Bumping into an ex is actually the worst. And I think as well, because he fought so hard to to keep the marriage and still denied. And I think, I mean, I don't know because I have I haven't spoken to him in years, but I often wonder, would he still deny it to this day? Like would Yeah, he would. I bet you. <laughs> and sometimes I'm wanting to reach out just to find out. Like, but... hey, do you want to admit your shit? Or yeah, yeah. And he'd be like, don't know what you're talking about. Pretty sure. Yeah. And so, you know, denied it to the end, to the point where even weirdly, his family believed him. And they used to know that he kind of was a bit of a bullshitter and, you know, he would always kind of, you know, he used to tell tall tales as we used to say, um, and which is funny until it's about your marriage. And so, um, you know, but even they believed him or it seemed that way. Anyway, outwardly, they took his side very much so. And they were like, yeah, well, she made a mistake. You know, he didn't do what she said he did. And three times. Yeah. Right. Like how many, how many things would you like him to have done? And so, um, so he fought incredibly hard kept telling me I was making a mistake even even when I told him I was he was getting the divorce papers I was still making a mistake when I told him about Canada 
how dare you do this? We were going to move to Canada. I was like, where are we fuck? And yeah, he just still like, I love you so much. I can't live without you. He actually tried to take his own life in the midst of this. It was very traumatic. It wasn't like I just like up left and it was done. It was like ongoing onslaught of emotional Still emotional manipulation. He just didn't get his own way. So what does he do? No, exactly. Yeah, and and I don't think he was trying to kill himself. It was it was very much a cry for help. It was not a it was not a suicide bid. It was a cry for help. It was a can you can you please feel so sorry for me that you'll come back? And I was like, fuck no, trying anything to manipulate you. And yeah, and I mean at that point, and and again, like I'm then. I'm then choosing to not go back to my husband who's just apparently tried to take his own life. Like these are not, that's not who I would ever, not who I would choose to be. It's not how I would choose to be. It's not how I would choose to respond. And yet he really gave me no choice. Like at that point, I'm not about to be like, okay, sure. Let me come back and we'll see if we can work again. And he just didn't understand. I kept trying to explain to him. I'm like, do you understand? I used to feel the safest of anywhere in the world, the safest place was in your arms. I was like, do you understand now that when you hug me, my skin crawls? And I was like, and I don't say that to be mean. I say that to explain to you how being in this relationship and not just like physically skin, but it's like mentally, I was like, I was, I was scared to be in that place and to be in your husband's arms and want to be a million other places and feel like this person could actually harm you. And I don't mean that necessarily in a physical way to, to feel like you had the, the ability and the history of doing that. I was like, why would I want to remain there? Why would I choose to put myself back in that place? It doesn't make any sense. Whether he understood that or not, it doesn't matter because he didn't care all he wanted was to have me back in his life. And I just always wonder, I'm like, but what would you have done? You'd have just kept doing it. Is that what we would have done for the rest of our lives? Yeah. And so it was then that I decided that I was going to move actually quite quickly after we separated. And so we separated in the August by the September, I was already looking into moving to Canada. By the April, I had my visa and the following September, so about just over a year after we separated, I got on a flight, one-way flight to Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> but, yeah, go on, yes. girl, you get out of Scotland. I'm literally like, I'm reading the book and fully cheering. For you. <laughs> Not that I've got anything against Scotland for any of my Scottish <laughs> listeners, but I'm really, I was really all for Lou. When you read the book, you'll understand, but I was really all for Lou just getting out of Scotland and just going and living her best life in Canada yeah. or wherever. I didn't mind where you went. I just wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think, it's, I think it's that like, you know, rebuilding in the, the aftermath, like in the ashes of what had been there before, I'm sure you could do it. I'm sure you could, you know, I could have done some cleanup and, you know, make it my own again and, and reclaimed Edinburgh for myself. And by no means do I think that I was actually leaving it behind. I was taking all, all of that trauma with me. I was taking all of that mental duress, you know, that was all coming with me on my air transat flight to Vancouver, but at least it gave me a new focus. It gave me a new a fresh canvas. It gave me a whole fresh set of friends, which I love my friends dearly at home. And if they're listening, you know, I do, but even then it's just memories everywhere. So to, to get over to Vancouver where I had never been, where I didn't know anybody, but it looked lovely. And I, you know, I'm very type A and like I say, very rational, very logistic, uh, sort of logistics minded. And so had got a job before I moved out here, had already rented an apartment through an agency. And so, yeah, I like hit the ground running. I arrived on the Thursday, went straight from the airport to my new apartment. And I talk actually about how crazily nice Canadians are. Uh, it, my first few days here, it was outrageous. So I get to my new apartment and the next day I go into my new place of work for lunch and to meet the team. Monday I start, it was like, okay, we're doing this. We're, we're living life. Like we're not on vacation or holiday. We're not on holiday. We're, we're doing it. What I liked actually, uh, and it really did summarize things. And it was something that I thought was very, very relatable that you put in your book. And you said that you felt incredibly lonely at home, even with all that support network around you, but it was so much easier. You took that loneliness with you to Canada, but it was so much easier to sit in your feelings and your loneliness in Canada than it was to do that at, at home, you know? And for anyone that I guess hasn't moved overseas, they, they maybe they wouldn't even be able to relate to that. But that to me, obviously, even just moving 
to the UK again three years ago and I, 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 I've got family, I've got friends here. You, you actually feel more lonely than being in a city where you know nobody because it's all new and you can start afresh. Exactly. And, and I think it's, it doesn't make sense to, or it feels like it doesn't make sense and it shouldn't make sense to be, to feel lonely in a place where you're not alone. But if you are alone in a new city where you don't know anybody, then the loneliness kind of makes sense. And so it, you know, would I have put myself out there as much as, you know, if I'd stayed in Edinburgh as much as I had to when I got here? Because if I hadn't gone and met people off Facebook, oh my God, like, and who I never would have wanted to do that. But, you know, needs must. I was like, I have to go out. I have to meet people. And, you know, just, or striking up conversations with random people. I would never have done that at home. But, you you know, my whole mindset had to shift when I got here because because I needed to meet people and I needed to make friends and you know, I also kind of was able to sort of present as much or as little of myself as I needed to. So I could tell them about my divorce, you know, and it was always interesting. People like, oh, why did you move here? Or, you know, what brought you out here? And I'd always just sort of say, oh, I just needed a change of scenery, which wasn't strictly untrue. Um, you know, and, and sort of slowly, I would sort of share more, more of my story and and I've never hit it. I've never, I've never uh, not told people, but it's not always the sort of thing that you lead with. You know, the first night that I got here, I remember sitting and I was just like, wow, I don't know anybody here. Like, this is interesting. Like being in a, you know, a, I mean, it's not a huge city, but it's a big North American city. I was downtown. I'm like looking out at all these like, you know, high rise buildings. And I was like, wow, it's, it's just little old me. But that was actually so, so scary but just such a breath of fresh air that like that was the focus and that that was my choice and everything that had happened up to that point I had been reacting to something that somebody else had done you know everything that then happened in my marriage it was just all like me just having to deal with something that somebody else had done and somebody else's actions and so me moving to Vancouver was like I did it for myself by myself and that was just you know hugely empowering and I think going back to kind of what we were talking about in terms of him breaking me down and the manipulation and the gaslighting it was probably the first thing that I could be like oh I'm going to give myself a pat on the back for that and and I'm so lucky that I was able to do that as well I should state that because you know I was child free when I came out of that marriage and had I not been it would have been a very different story and I am forever grateful that I did not have a child with him um, because I would still be in Scotland ultimately you know I wouldn't have been able to go anywhere else and so to be able to move and make that that choice solely for myself was phenomenal and I got to Vancouver and was like well I mean we're here so we're just gonna try and make this work it just made sense and so I did it and I followed it and I was like sure let's give this a shot um and kind of little did I know little did I know that it would be as hard as it was but also that it would be as phenomenal as it was or is it's both it's going to be hard no matter where you are it's just the kind of hard that you want to pick yes there's that meme on or that that post on on instagram i think that it's like you know um having kids is hard getting divorced is hard uh being single is hard but you get to choose your hard and i think that's the interesting thing is is you know yeah i would rather be doing this hard than like trying to maintain that marriage you know there's just no two ways about that so um yeah and it and it has been it's been i've now been here just over seven years and uh And I couldn't imagine being really anywhere else, but it has been still trials and tribulations throughout, you know, um, getting back into dating or, or well, before that, even, I mean, I didn't date for a good few years because it wasn't even a conscious choice. It was just like, men just were not on my radar as friends. Absolutely. Like I I had a great bunch of guy friends and and actually couples that I met when I got here. And that's the difference. Actually. I don't know if it's the same in Vancouver. I haven't lived there, but for me, I found that when you do move abroad, so anywhere that isn't, I don't know anywhere, actually I'm saying anywhere that isn't the UK. I haven't lived everywhere, but in a lot of other cities around the world, it's, it's cool to have guy friends. It's cool to have like couple friends it's cool to put yourself out there and meet people from Facebook or ask the person after yoga oh hey do you fancy grabbing a coffee whereas when I came to the UK then when I came back here three years ago and I'm like oh hey like so do you you fancy grabbing a coffee and they look at you like you've got 12 heads and I just think gosh you're a miserable (laughs) bloody bunch around here aren't you they're just so (laughs) British people just they don't want a bar of it they don't want to know whereas I seem to find that other places (laughs) are more welcome 
it's so interesting you say that big yeah well I actually realized that when I moved here I realized how inhospitable I had been and unwelcoming I had been to people that moved to Edinburgh and I didn't realize and it wasn't on purpose by any means so if you're listening to this and you're in the UK and you know someone has just moved there or that doesn't have family please please be <laughs> we need to change this perception of us which is actually true it's not even a perception that is British people to the core I just I don't think I've ever just had like a random like typically under yoga in in the UK be like hey do, do you want to go and grab a coffee next door or I don't know and and if and if you do it's like let's go to the pub let's get a drink it's different I think it's different at home you have a different mentality when you take yourself out of the British yes. bubble I like yes. to, like to know it as <laughs> so as soon as you leave that bubble and you're kind of looking back in you realize how almost like insular yeah it is. I, I was just going to say, it is so different. And I think that I try and I try and be so careful because I don't want to be sat here in my, you know, in Vancouver being like, well, the UK is just, you know, a shithole and the Brits are because. Well, <laughs> anyone, if anyone, if you've got it, you're going to, it's a fine line. I'm going to say anyone listening, add Lou on Instagram and then you'll be <laughs> really, really jealous of her life every day when she just keeps putting bloody ski <laughs> videos up. And you just think, Oh yeah, that's totally not what you know the view out on my front door looks like. But okay, <laughs> you 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 made that choice. You moved to Canada and you own it and just say it, it like it is. It is. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Yes, there's great places in the UK. Yes, yes there's natural beauty, but I don't know anywhere quite like Vancouver where you get to just. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna go skiing after work or whatever. Yeah. It it's like come on no. like that. and then in the summer you're like I'm gonna go to the beach and I'm just like yeah oh, like God, this I yeah, there's sand there's sand in my apartment because even in winter the beach is, is a block away and so we're on the beach all the time me and my puppy but no to your point Vancouver is also it is just phenomenal it is like and I didn't even know when I moved here I I, I picked so well I looked at your Instagram this evening actually your story because I'll see you were out out walking the pup and I was just thinking, well, that did not look like my view when I took my dogs out for a walk. And I live somewhere really, really beautiful, but I still was super envious. I was like, this is, and it is incredible, Lou. Like you are living the dream, trust me. <laughs> I want to pack up and move to Vancouver. I'm literally like, I'm good to go. I've got the Aussie passport. They're really fan you know over there of, of you know of Aussie so like literally and I haven't even been to Vancouver and it I'm sold on it I'm literally sold on it Vancouver is you know I always say so you know anywhere I can go to the beach after work in winter or ski after or sorry the beach after work in summer or or in winter in fairness um and ski after work in winter it's such an easy place to live. I mean, I say easy. It is easy, like I say, if, you're, if your life fits into the life that it is here. And, my, you know, my mom, when she first came out to visit, that was, you know, I'd made the choice to leave. And so I live with that guilt all the time. And also, it's just incredibly difficult at the moment with COVID, having not been home in so long or seen my, my mom. Um, and so that's like, that, that is, that's a sacrifice. There are sacrifices. There are always, again, as lovely as it looks on Instagram stories, you know, I come home and I'm like, fuck, I would just love to go back to Edinburgh and see my family, you know? But I always say this, I, I am incredibly close to my parents. Like they are, they're not even like my parents. They're like my best friends. All my friends love them. Like I hang out with them. I do like heaps of shit with them there absolutely they are the most awesome people I could not have better parents if I tried but I do understand your guilt when you're away from them but I always say the same thing whether you're close to your parents or not that kind of irrelevant it's the fact that your parents lived their life exactly as they wanted to live it it was their life to live they made those choices and they did what they had to do they've brought you into the world and they want you to make the best of your life. Your mom wants you to have the best life ever. And, and that's what you've done. And as much as you miss her and she misses you, my God, she must be so proud of you, Lou. Like you went through so much shit in your 20s and you took that shit and you took the biggest leap of faith 
spun it around and look at your life now. You have built a successful life in Canada. You got a lovely home, lovely dog, good job. You're a best-selling author <laughs> of an incredible book. Like what what more? What what more can yeah. a parent want? And you're only 36. So going back <laughs> to the start with what I said, you have literally lived three yeah. lives. It's been a it's been a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and she you know my mom is proud she and and never once you know d- my guilt does not come from her it does not stem from any yeah any underlying remarks that she she's never ever once said that she has been nothing but supportive and and I am forever grateful for that um so yeah it's that's the sort of thing where I just think you know I am so grateful as well that she has been my whole family have been very supportive of that and have really wanted the best for me and uh, and appreciate the reasons why I haven't returned home you know they're like you clearly are living your best life over there and we wouldn't ever want you to kind of give that up just to come back and I never say never about anything but um you know I definitely can't really see myself moving back and um you know my life here like you say I have I love where I live I have a wonderful set of of incredibly close friends here who take the place of my family um I now have a pup. I got, a, I definitely got a pandemic pup at the beginning of April. It was like the perfect timing. So he and I have been, yeah, getting acquainted and uh, he's just that he's, I won the puppy lottery. I think it's because I lost the man lottery. I won the puppy lottery. <laughs> yeah. I, to be honest, it's a very fine line between what is, is better, you know, okay. You could have a great partner, but also a great dog. Well, that's okay. And I'm the same with kids and dogs. Well, anyone that knows me, I mean, you only have to look at actually the, the artwork on the podcast cover and my three dogs are on there. I, I'm all about the dogs. If yeah, I, I've lost so many followers on Instagram because all I do is put dog videos on. So, and I'm like, how can you lose followers because of that? I don't understand. I don't need in my life anyway. I think they're very, very negative. And they clearly <laughs> don't want the joy of my my three yappy dogs and, and their videos of them doing the same shit every single day. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with it. Like, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm just taking it in my stride. These are not my people. It's fine. As you get older, you just appreciate that. But I think dogs over kids and, and also dogs over one hell of a lot of the men out there. Sorry, guys, if you're listening. But, but dogs, dogs are just... What? Oh, this, but the same goes the other way you know for guys like dogs over women as well like yeah. geez they're it's so much <laughs> just dogs over people just dogs over- <laughs> that's actually that that is the, that is the point yeah nailed it so getting back slightly <laughs> on track so going to Vancouver now and, and you've gotten settled and stuff how have you found the dating scene in Vancouver because obviously you set up the divorced and dating um Insta account and your blog and anyone again listening I mean I'm going to put all of the, the tags for everything down on on the bio but reading when I started to read your blog like I was fully chuckling like I love <laughs> your style of writing and you are so open and so honest like so honest it's like people kind of get to love you before they even know you because of how you come across because you're just you're so real about everything that yeah. you write it's your blog your book everything you are so real and that's a, Thank that's a you. great quality actually well, and actually, I think I allowed myself that because when I started, well, and I still really on the blog, I don't really, I, there's not my name or my face or anything, but I, I didn't put my name or or have any any link to myself. There was no link to my uh, my personal social media because I wanted to be able to write it entirely anonymously, uh, which I think gave me that freedom a little bit more. And then as I got more comfortable with kind of being open and um and kind of accepting of, of that for myself. Then, then when I wrote the book and sort of linked like the blog to my personal Instagram, I was a little bit more comfortable with people kind of making that connection. But at the beginning I was like, Oh, I don't want anyone to know that it's me. Um, and it also just gave me freedom to kind of talk more about the men and, and everyone goes by nickname. So I, you know, it's not ever about kind of outing anybody. Um, but the blog is fun. And it was the reason that I did it was because the story, some of them are so outrageous. Again, similar to some of the book stories. I'm like, people wouldn't believe you. Like if, you know, but I'm like, no, this really happened. And like, you know, yeah, I'll let you read the blog. But, um, but the blog was started because when I got back into dating, eventually it took me a good, almost two and a half years after I got here for me to finally be like, okay, I've been asked one too many times, are you dating? How is the dating in Vancouver that I was finally like, I guess maybe I should do it. So I started dating and it was horrifying. Like there is just no other word for it. It was 
horrific. It was trauma all over again of a different sort. And I was like, I'm sorry, what is happening here? Dating apps? Like what? Who the fuck thought this up? This is the worst. You're getting back into dating anyway, which I think with or without apps would have been, you know, challenging and it, it would have been a, a sort of, you know, a real leap for, for me to, to put myself back out there. But add in the apps where not only, you know, are there, I mean, and now it's a different where again, we're sort of like five years on from that. But back then there was less kind of, well, there was less, well, it was different apps as well. So there was less of the like aggressive swiping as there is now, but also just less kind of overview. So there were people whose profile pictures were just pictures of like their dick in their pants. And you're like, what, what, how, okay, this is what we're dealing with. Great. And so, and then, you know, just like dealing with even for me, it was the fact that like, you're talking to people and seemingly having talking, I say, you know, you're messaging people, seemingly having a a good conversation, and then they just disappear. And bearing in mind, I was coming from this very insecure place. I was like, Oh, my God, what did I say? What happened? And I took everything personally, like a guy ghosting me. And I mean, I use that word loosely when I'm talking about someone that I've never even met, and we're just messaging an app. But if someone is you're, you know, like I say, you're kind of having what you think is a good conversation, and they disappear. And it's like, Oh, my God, oh, my, oh, my God, what did like, I, I take it so personally. I'm offended. Like, what did, I, why did, you know, and there's no good reason for it. And now I'm as guilty as anyone of like, you start a conversation and something happens or you get distracted or you just get busy or you also are not bored anymore. Cause that's the mo- reason most of us are on there is because you're bored. And so, especially in COVID, you're like, well, I can't go out and see people. So if I, I'm just going to swipe and like have a random conversation with someone. Having said all of that, despite how traumatic and offensive I found it to begin with, um, dating apps are definitely, they serve a purpose. And in this world where, you know, we are a little more disconnected, especially now when we're all working from home and, you know, you're not really meeting people as as easily necessarily. They're great for just essentially as they do, just putting a bunch of men in front of you. Um, Is it the most uh, soul satisfying way to meet someone? No, I would say it's, you know, the fact that I'm assessing someone's grammar rather than their values is probably not how you should be picking a relationship. It's the writer in you. <laughs> and I'm always like, Louise, just leave it, leave it. Like, just give it up. And I'm like, I can't, I can't. He doesn't know there, there, and there. Like, no, I can't. Realistically, how are you ever going to date a guy when you're just fully judging what he's written? Because on the first date or convert, you're going to be like, dude, I have to break it down for you. This is, this is there, this is there, and this is they are. So, but, but here's the thing. If you meet someone elsewhere, you meet someone organically, you meet someone in a bar, you're not like, hey, do you know the difference between there, there, and there? Like, you you don't care. It's not something that comes up in conversation. It's not important. Like, yes, I would hope that the person I was dating was smart enough to know, but it's not important. And yet here we are. I'm making a decision on this person solely based on that. And it's like this, or the fact that like, oh, his profile says he's 5'10". I'm 5'4 and a half. Why the hell do I care if he's 5'9 or 5'10"? It doesn't make any difference. He's going to be taller than me. But my best friend's four foot eleven, and she only dates guys that are six. Foot. Oh, she's one of those. I'm like, but you're really small. She's like, yes, but I like tall men. And I'm but like, everyone is tall in comparison to you. I'm like, yeah, but I like, I'm a giant. I'm five foot two. I'm a giant compared to this chick. You know, like she's tiny. She's like a little yeah. doll. I call this all call her a doll. I, and it's very and and she's literally and she's she she used oh used okay. to use the date now. She doesn't now but but I'm like you can't judge someone on that shit she's like yeah yeah and that's and I mean you know you know yourself as well when I'm putting myself on there I'm like I know that I'll be judged for for things that I shouldn't be judged for and you just kind of have to get okay with it but at the beginning I was like I'm really not okay with it and so you know you, you started meeting people and and for a while I was also in the mindset where it come from of like you know he had been my ex had been my my really my first proper boyfriend out of school really and so I am what I would consider, I was what I would have considered a relationship person. I am committed. I am, you know, monogamous. Those are, those are the things that, that, that I know. That's what I know. So that's who I am. And um, so then, you know, dating multiple people or even talking to multiple people was, that felt a little odd to me. And obviously I have very strong feelings about cheating and those sorts of things. So, you know, it was a very gray area for me and I, and I struggled with that. And yet, you know, the reality is everyone is out here dating a bunch of people all at the same time and we're all just supposed to be okay with it. And so it took me a really long time to kind of get to that place. Um, and I talk about the story in the book of when I went on, or I think it's maybe on the blog as well, when I had the two dates in one day and karma really came back and bit me in the ass. Um, that was a 
one. I mean, not no, for you not so such a good time. Reading it, I was like, uh, I chuckled. Yeah, I yeah. Chuckle. because it really, I felt like that. I was like, see, this is what happens when you date too many people. You shit your pants. No, I'm kidding. I didn't add shit my pants. Read it in the book. Um, and so, so it, it's those sorts of things that I really struggled with. And and I think as well in my head, I was like, you just need to meet, you need to meet one person that it fits. And that's going to be it. That's going to be you. You're going to be back in the relationship game. Great. Um, and I think it was at that point that I kind of had to reframe dating in general to being, I'm looking to find a, the person to, I'm just going to go meet people. I'm just going to go have experiences, have conversations that I wouldn't otherwise have. And if in doing so, and don't get me wrong, my intention was always, at least it, it was either for a romantic you know, connection or for a, for a sexual connection. It was still just, I'm going to go meet someone. And if I don't like them, as long as I come away with a funny story or there's a lesson, then I'm good. And so I think when I kind of changed that mindset around it, it made it a little bit easier and it made the disappointments a little easier to take because there, there were and are many, you know, of like what you think might be, oh my God, this guy seems perfect. And like, this is it. Like I think, and then, you know, and it, and it does or it doesn't work out. And so, um, and I think that was what I was getting to the place of like, oh, I can be very intentional about this I get to make those choices I get to make a decision it's not about like does he like me it's like do I even like him do I do I want to sleep with him you know I could but do I want to and like that was something that like was actually a revelation I get you know the whole time I'd come into it being like I just need someone to like me I need someone to accept me I want I, I need someone to want me I need someone to find me attractive and then it flipped and it was like this whole revelation of like but what do I want and like it, do I like them? You did the self-work, you grew, you developed, you got your confidence, your sense of self-worth, and your, your independence back to be like, actually, let's focus on me and see what you can bring to the table for me instead of trying to give everything you've got on the table for them and, and kind of taking whatever they were putting on offer. And I think that for a lot of women, and that I do think comes from doing the self-work and also from age, that you, your mindset does kind of change and you think, I don't need to put up with this shit anymore. And particularly when you've been through that, that shit, unfortunately, you, it, does, it does kind of make things, I think, different moving forward. It does. Eventually it kind of percolates in. I, you know, and it took a while for me, for sure. And there's still times that I, that I struggle with that. And I would never say that I am like 100% that person all the time. I'm not by any means. And it comes and it goes and things will shake you. But I think what it allows me to do is like, I come back to it a lot quicker. I, that is, that is who I know is kind of like me at the core. And I think that's probably what I didn't have before was a real sense of myself ever. And then, you know, with my my ex, it was like, okay, now I was a wife and, and we were built very much building. And I think one of the things, one of my, like I kind of alluded to earlier, one of my regrets in that was that we weren't, we were very much growing together, but we really weren't looking to grow independently. And I think that was one of the things that was missing. And I now have that ability to feel very much like I, I do know who I am. I'm still learning who I am, but I have a much better sense of that. And I'm not ashamed of any part of that. Like I, I lived in guilt and I lived in shame for a very, very long time in my life. That is debilitating like talk about like really just constraining yourself that will do it like to live in shame and guilt you you have no freedom in that and so to sort of break out of that and be able to to set up the life as I wanted it and as I saw fit for myself and kind of give myself that ability to to also be like who I am right now is not who I will be forever you know and so I went through that stage of being very um free with with my relationships and with with you know having sex with people and I don't regret that at all and in some ways I kind of miss those days and COVID has really put paid to that I'm like well I miss I miss those summers um but but it was something I had to do and it was kind of like a rite of passage and I mean granted you know I had been in that relationship with my ex-husband for the entirety of my 20s but did I have the kind of party lifestyle did I have the like dating lots of men no that wasn't what I was doing at 22 23 because I was in a committed relationship um so yeah so I kind of did that in my 30s instead and I think that's a really interesting time to do it because like you say you just have this additional you know maturity and experience to kind of make it a little simpler um, I also think navigating that in my 20s would have also been I mean the 20s are just hard you just don't know shit no. you don't know <laughs> Let's, let's, let's actually just crack that. 
20s are hard your 30s are hard your 40s are hard your 50s yeah. are hard. I don't know when it stops being hard like true, true. being an adult is actually <laughs> most uh, that that's one of the things to say on, on my trailer for my show like adulting is hard and anyone yeah. that thinks adulting isn't hard well that there are the you're lines. not doing it no no yeah that you, you're, you're not doing it you're lying yeah. or you're lying to yourself because it's bloody hard that's all I could it's say true. on. No, hard. it is true. And and yeah, this is not me by any means. But like, oh, my twenties are hard. My thirties are also hard. But like, twenties. Yeah, and I think as well. Like at twenty, like I think you think it shouldn't be hard. That's the difference. Now in thirty, I know that it's supposed to be hard, and this will always be hard. But in your twenties, you're like, no, I'm supposed to figure this out, and it's like, no, you're never gonna figure that out. Like just just let her roll. You know what I mean? Like just just sit with it. It's fine. You'll not figure it out, but that's okay. And I think like that's where I'm kind of at with it now. One of the on one of your posts on um, divorced and, and dating at thirty, you said that with your book, uh, with your blog, you wanted to tell your story because if your story, you said in the book that you hope that if it helps even one person not feel alone when going through divorce or or life change, then then you feel good. You know, you've, yeah. you've done that, and that was kind of the thing with for me with the podcast is sharing people's stories to know that actually none of us are in this alone we're all going through just in different ways and what for you when you made the decision to go from blog to book and put that story out there no holds barred I mean what 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 where did that idea come from what made you think I'm I'm gonna write a book and I'm gonna write a book in my name and it's gonna be my story and I am not because that's a big that's a big big leap a faith yeah. to take to really put yourself out there that's a brave and bold move which I fully respect and your book yeah. is is absolutely brilliant and one of the my favorite things about your book is the fact that you don't just say you know well yeah I I you know it's not just the story of I was married and then you know I got divorced and then I moved to Vancouver and then x y and z happened and you talk about about mental health you talk about the struggles of of life of dating you're very very real you cover a lot of other topics in your book it's not just fluffy is the, yeah. the word I'm going to use you know you really get <laughs> yeah. into the nitty gritty and and all kind of all the struggles of of life as an adult and going through these transitions yeah and, and I appreciate you saying that because that is essentially um the you know like you said when you when you discovered the blog it is mostly very funny like the stories on there and and it is actually every single date pretty much entirely apart from there's a some that were just not worth mentioning but there it's almost up until the point where I haven't written anymore but I'm hoping to get back to it those stories were all just like every date kind of just a sort of overview of them and they were funny and they you know served a purpose and they talked to a lot of the different like you know the inequalities in dating and just like standards and social etiquette and you know all those sorts of things it talks to all of that but and people kept saying when I started to write the blog you should write a book like this should be a book you should do this and I was like no 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 that seems crazy especially because I was writing the blog initially anonymously so I was like how do you do that as a book and then and and then I think you know there was a couple of people who reached out to me having read the blog and were like this resonates so much just from the dating perspective they're like it is so nice to know that like I'm reading things that you're saying and I'm like oh my god this happened to me or yeah me too or yeah that's something I've thought and I'm like that is what I wanted it was always to have just someone be like me too and so then I was like well maybe it should be a book but I was like just the book of dating stories wasn't what I wanted my first book to be um I actually think that might be what my second book might be so that's a little bit of a of a um, one of my final questions ah there you go asking you but okay we'll get back to that we'll get back to that it's an exclusive um but yeah that's um that was like I kind of didn't want that to be the sort of first thing that I went out with with just the dating stories and I think for me the bigger picture was like you say all those other topics, all the things that were happening in the background of those dating stories, the struggles, the mental health, you know, issues. I, you know, I suffered from depression even since I've been in Vancouver. Um, I've had some physical health, uh, health issues, just, you know, friendships coming and evolving and, and changing as I've been here. My relationships with my family back home, that guilt of being away. Those were the things that I think I was like, that's where I really wanted to write something that I was like, that guys actually might find useful as well. Because that was the one thing I used to find was when girls would be like talking to me about my blog and then guys would be like, oh, what, you write a blog? And we'd sort of start chatting and and 
I felt that there was some value there from a male perspective as well of them getting a female perspective on dating. Or like when you say this to a girl, like I'll call you, this is what she thinks, which is by the way, men that are listening, we think you'll call us, you know, like that's, that's how that works. And so God forbid we take, take it at face value, what you say, you know. (laughs) Or shocking. shocking that we think that you're going to do what you said you were going to do anyway. also for a side note men that are listening I'm not going Dutch well I'm not I'm not doing anything because I'm settled down but uh, we're not going Dutch on the bill that is a really big one okay <laughs> that is such a topic of conversation <laughs> I'm so sick of I, I I just I speak to my girlfriends and they'll be like oh yeah you know and then and then the bill came and he's like so no you invited me on this day I didn't ask to come oh, on this date. Yes. And then they're all like, yeah, but with all the dating apps now, chicks are just looking for free dates. Well, then just invite them for a coffee. Don't invite me out for dinner and then expect me to go half. I agree. This is a whole other conversation, but I agree. And, anyway. and, I, and I think to your, to your point about like who invited who, I think that is critical. Um, I also think it's more just a sense of like, did did she offer did he offer like those are the things and I and I talk in the book about the story where there was oh I would offer if I was single I would yes. offer but I don't expect you to say yes if you <laughs> me out and I say that and guys are like well then why the fuck are you offering I'm like because I honestly don't necessarily like, expect to be paid for either but I will tell you something that a man who will do that on a first date it's just like it's skin in the game. And then we, you know, let's go, not get on to like, how much did it cost me to look like this to come on the date? You know, uh-huh. let's not go down there. Anyway, so, so <laughs> and that was my thing was I was like, I think there's actually topics of conversation that get men just as much as, as get women going. And so I was like, I wanted it to be a book that like, you know, some of my guy friends or, or guys that I don't know might actually read and not just be like, oh, this was funny, but like, oh yeah, interesting. I've never really thought about dating or like the other side of it that way. So to provide a little bit of insight into to for them. And so that was sort of where the, the, the actual full idea for the book came. And, and it sort of felt like starting with the move to Vancouver, going back a little historically, talking about the divorce and, and my marriage and, and then sort of, you know, the, the path through there made sense. But what I had always been waiting for was the ending. I was waiting to be like, and then I met this guy and now we're married and everything is great again. And that, as the years went on, was clearly not necessarily forthcoming. Again, no spoilers for the book, but you know, it was an up and down, a uh, little bit of a roller coaster ride. And and I kept being like, well, what what's the what is the story then? And then I, you know, with conversations with friends and my therapist, they were like, the story is that you are still doing it and and you know living your life regardless of that that that, and that there is no end point even if I was to get married or meet someone again if I met someone again then the end point is well when are you getting married if I got married like well are you having kids you know there it's there's never an end point in life there isn't one bit that you're like okay I did that life done like no that doesn't happen and so I think it was like accepting the messiness of life, accepting the struggles that will always be there. Like you say, it will always be hard. That doesn't, I did not finish the book as this perfect, perfectly formed, perfectly healed person. That is not who I am. It was never who I will be. And I think that is the story. Like that is the point. And if, and and if ending that book, you can be like, wow. Yeah. Like at the very end of the book, there's the thing that happens is like, Oh, she does not have her shit together. And you're like, but she still has, you know, I'm still able to sit and reflect and have those lessons and I've grown. And, and that is like, that was kind of the idea. And so, yeah, deciding to do that definitely, um, it took a little bit of kind of, um, just, just acceptance in my brain that like I was going to put it out there because once it's out there you can't take it back um and I was going to put it under my name and I was going to be like fully um kind of owning that story and I think again it kind of goes back to the shame thing I have no shame in any of it anymore and so I get into some sexual details (laughs) and that's how I feel I'm like why should I and if someone else feels like I should that it talks entirely to them and not in any way to me it was always about just telling it as it was from my perspective um it was terrifying I mean truly you know I wrote it and then I sat with it and and I loved it it was actually probably the happiest I've ever been so therapeutic and I would get up in the morning I'd go to the gym 
in the, the middle of the night at like 5 a.m. And then I would be in Starbucks writing by 7.30 and I would have a full day of writing. And I just, I loved it. I was so happy making no money, but that was fine. Um, so, and, and to then your point again about me saying that if it helps one person feel less alone, then I still frequently get messages from people where they're like, I just found your blog or I just found your account or I just read your book and it's me or this bit. It, it's so what I have lived or, oh my goodness, you gave me hope. Like someone messaged me the other day and I posted it on my stories and they sent this beautiful message. And at the end they were like, thank you so much for writing the book. You gave me hope. And I was just like, I did that? Like what? Like how? That is what I did it for. Like that is exactly why. And so it's not just been one person. For me, that is just the most rewarding thing. And I think it's partly because I feel like, like I said, when I was going through my divorce and when I was going through all that, you know, separation, I just had all of these misinformed thoughts. And I think had I had, not that it wasn't out there, but I maybe wasn't even looking, but if I'd, you know, if I'd felt less alone, if I'd felt like I had the permission to kind of be all the mess that I was, if I felt like I could really take ownership of my life earlier, maybe that would have changed it. Maybe it wouldn't. And I feel like I absolutely had to go through what I went through to get to where I am. But if I can at least make one more person feel just slightly less ashamed or slightly more empowered or slightly more hopeful at a time when they're struggling, it was all worth it. You know, like any of the, any of the hardship that I have endured either in my life or in writing the book and, and the sort of struggles of, of, you know, with confidence and and publishing it, they're all completely done away when that, when I get those messages, it's just the most rewarding part of it. Thank you so much for coming on today, Lou, for sharing your story with us, for making me laugh. Literally, I've laughed so much in the past few hours that we've been chatting that I feel like I've known you a lifetime. You're an absolute star. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode of the Grown Up Hustle podcast. If you guys want to check out Lou's book, then hop onto Amazon where you can purchase both a paper copy or a Kindle copy, depending on what your preference is. Or even better, if you're after a signed copy, then hop onto the Grown Up Hustle podcast on Instagram where you can find Lou tagged on the show's grid reels. Go through to Lou's link tree and her bio on her Instagram and you can purchase a signed edition of the book Lou Who There. Whilst you're there, give us a follow to stay updated on up and coming shows and don't forget to subscribe to the Grown Up Hustle podcast on whatever platform you're listening on to be first in line for next week's drop. On next week's show, we've got Bianca Criaco, Pilates Movement and Wellness Coach on with us. And she's going to be chatting with us about her journey of being diagnosed with cancer at the age of 19, lymphedema, and how through a mixture of intuitive living, movement and Pilates, Bianca has managed to regain balance in her health and also the health of others too. Hope you all have a great week. Catch you all soon.